morning, um, Gary and I uh, had hoped and planned that he'd be preaching this morning, um, but as he got here today, realized that wasn't going to work. So uh, your bulletin says we're we're next is 21, eye for an eye. That would have been fun, but we're not going there today. So uh, we just decided it didn't make much sense for us both to prepare the same sermon, so uh, I prepared something else. Uh, we're going to talk about communion today, actually. Uh, as, I, as I was thinking this week and praying, what, what would be good for us uh, to talk about? And actually, a, a conversation I had with someone last week. Um, she realized we need to talk about what we're doing every week when we take communion. I, I can't even remember how long it's been now that we started taking it weekly, but it, that was a change we made within the last, I think, two years. Uh, and, and we talked about it pretty extensively then, but, but it's been a while, and... and um, it's just so easy to, to come to something that we do over and over again and forget what it's about. Um, or, or maybe 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 you didn't ever know what it was about. Um, I was thinking about communion and, and the first time I took communion as a kid, and I don't remember the first time exactly. Um, I know that my parents uh, wanted, wanted me to wait to take communion until we both thought that I was ready, which really meant until they thought I was ready because I thought I was ready right away. Um, but I, I can't say that I really knew what was going on, uh, and, and I'm sure uh, I'm sure that the, the churches I went to, I'm, they probably explained it. I probably just wasn't paying attention. Um, but I, I knew that as the elements were passed, and we, we did it the same way every week, uh, both churches I went to, uh, as the elements were passed, um, I knew everyone was supposed to be pretty quiet. Um, it seemed like a lot of people prayed during communion. Um, it always felt really somber. Um, I didn't understand why the pieces of bread were so tasteless. Like, why couldn't we have decent bread? I think ours is good now. Um, and which, I don't mean this part to be funny, but uh, which, by the way, our communion is gluten-free. We know that more and more people um, need gluten-free communion. We haven't said that in a long time, so hopefully you, you can take this as well. Um, but but I, I, knew, I knew this was about Jesus. I knew it was about his death. Um, but that was about all that I knew. First uh, Corinthians ten sixteen. It says, um, "The cup of blessing that we bless is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break is it not a participation in, in the body of Christ?" And I actually uh, used this verse several weeks ago when I was talking about the word koinonia, which most of us probably think of that word as, as fellowship. Um, but the word participation here is the same Greek word. Koinonia. Um, so, so there's uh, koinonia can mean fellowship, partnership, participation. So when when we come to communion or what we call it the Lord's Supper, um, it's a participation that 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 we have here with Christ when we when we share this meal. We come to communion. It's not just this this old ritual that's been going on for a couple thousand years. Jesus has very intentionally set up this meal for us to take part in with him. He's given us a unique way not to remember just what he has done, but he invites us to be participants in, in what he has done. So when we come to the Lord's Supper, we, we, we commune with God. We, we meet with God. There's a spiritual fellowship that's happening between you and Christ when you, when you take this meal. There's a real intimacy here in, in what he has done for us. And we participate or we share in the benefits of Christ's death. It was by his wounds that, that we have been saved. So it's really easy, I, I think. It's been easy for me to come to Lord's Supper but not really participate. I mean, go through the motions. But I can't say that, that, I, that, 
or I can say often, I have not truly been a participant in what's going on. So why did Jesus tell us to do this? Why, why did he set this up for the first disciples and, and for all his disciples after um, to, to take the Lord's Supper? Um, Wayne Grudem wrote a systematic theology that's been really, really helpful uh, to me. If you're looking for a book uh, on Christianity that, that um, they can just answer a whole lot of questions, things like this thick. I mean, it's a massive book. I think it's only like 40 bucks. It is, it's probably the book I use the most. Um, but anyway, he, he points out four symbols in the Lord's Supper, and, and these might not be mind-blowing to you. You probably could guess them. Um, and he also gives three, three affirmations when we take the Lord's Supper together. So the symbols, um, first is, is Christ's death. Uh, obviously, as, as we participate in the meal, our actions symbolize the, the death of Christ. The, the bread was broken. It had to be broken to, to get it this way. And it, just like Christ's body was broken for us, torn, torn, uh, pierced for us, um, the cup is, is poured out like Christ's blood is, is poured out for us. So as we take communion, what, what, what we're physically doing proclaims the death of Christ. First Corinthians eleven twenty six. I don't know if this will be up there. Oh, nope, it's not. First um, Corinthians eleven twenty six. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So obviously, it symbolizes His death. It also symbolizes our participation in, in the benefits of Christ's death. So when, when we come and, and we commemorate Christ's death, we do that for uh, a, a couple of reasons. One, he, he, he died, he, he rose, and he defeated death. And two, it's through his death that, that we can be saved. Right? Without Jesus dying for us, there, there would be no salvation. And I know, if you're in this room, you, you probably know that. I, I, I don't want to blow through this, though, today. Right? Jesus told us to do this in remembrance of me. He told us over and over again, we, we need to do this. We need to remember. We need to remake this, like the center of, of what we do and what, what we gather around. So he died for us. And, and, and when we eat this meal, we're taking the benefits of Christ's death. Like salvation is possible be, because Jesus died for us. The third symbol is is a spiritual nourishment. And obviously we know food nourishes us. Um, this, I mean, this is a tiny piece of bread and a little grape juice, so there's technically some nourishment there physically. Um, but, but really what's going on is, is spiritually. There's, there's nourishment to our souls. John uh, chapter 6, Jesus um, said something that must have been so strange to hear in person. He says, uh, and, and actually I'm just I'm just taking a little chunk of what he was saying, but um, verse 53. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. Right, we're talking about real life here, not just this physical life, but God's talking about life, life eternal. He says, in order to have that life, you have to eat my flesh. You have to drink my blood. And he's not talking literal 
literal flesh, literal blood here. I know that there are some that believe that, that when you take communion, that the bread transforms in, into the, the physical body of Christ and the cup uh, transforms into his blood. We, we don't hold that stance here. These are symbols. And, and Jesus was not talking about literally eating and drinking his blood, but, but he was talking spiritually. This is, this, is how, this is how we have life when we eat and drink his blood. He says that the true food and the true drink is feeding on his flesh and drinking his blood. He says this is what brings us life. So as we meet with Jesus in this way, he's telling us that he's feeding our souls. He's given us life. The last symbol is is the unity that it brings to us as Christ's followers. When we come and and eat this meal together, there's a a unity among us who trust uh, in Jesus. And and we worship Jesus. Um, We we take this together. And we all have different backgrounds. We all like different things. We're good at different things. But Jesus is the one that brings us into this room every single week. Otherwise, we would not gather as a group if not for Christ. So when we come and and take communion, certainly you could take communion with your family, right? You don't have to be in church. You could take it with friends. You could take it with another group elsewhere. But but whoever you take it with, there's a symbol of the unity of Christ bringing his people together. So Jesus, and Gary explained this weeks ago when we were in Exodus 12, um, Jesus uh, uses the, the Passover meal to institute the Lord's Supper. Um, and, and the Passover is something that the, the Jews participated in every year as a remembrance for what God had done in, uh, in saving them. This was an important part of life for them every single year. Uh, and, and I'm sure that there were probably some that eventually had been to their 20th Passover, and it's like, okay, I get it. I know what's going on here. I'm sure there were some that, that were going through the motions. Um, but, but this was a really important part of their culture, of their history. Um, so Jesus is going to have this meal with, with his disciples. So we'll be in Luke 22 today. Um, Luke 22, 7, it says, uh, Then the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Um, so Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him in, into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room? Where, am I, where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. So Jesus, um, he, he had it all laid out for them, where, where they needed to go. He, he made a way for what they needed. So John and Peter, they go to the place that, that Jesus told them they'd find, and they prepare the Passover feast. Um, and, and it's interesting that, 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 that the Passover meal is the context in which Jesus brings about the Lord's Supper. Um, so as I said, Gary walked us through this several weeks ago now, but Israel had been celebrating this meal for generations Every year, remembering that God had saved them from, from physical slavery at the hands of the Egyptians. Um, they looked back to what God had done in the past. They remembered his, his saving work in their history. And this is the last plague um, in the Exodus story. This is the last plague that God brings on the Egyptians. Um, and they were, they were to take a, a lamb, a spotless lamb, sacrifice that lamb. And, and with the blood, they took a hyssop branch and, and they, they, they painted the blood on the, on the doorpost and the crossbeam there. Um, 
and, and God instructed um, them. They stayed in the house. And that night they roasted the lamb. They ate it together. They had this meal together. And, and, and God told them that he was going to pass over the houses that had the blood on the door. He's going to pass over those houses, and the people in those houses were going to be safe. But the ones that, that, that were not marked by the blood of the lamb, there's going to be death. The firstborn, every household, even the animals, firstborn of the animals, were, were going to die. But God said to them in, in, uh, in Exodus twelve thirteen, I will pass over you. I will not bring this plague on the houses marked with the blood of the spotless lamb. But without that blood, the firstborn would die. And in every Egyptian house that night, someone died. And God told them to do this every year, to remember, remember what he'd done for the salvation of Israel, to remember that for 400 years they'd been enslaved, 400 years of, of wondering if God would hear them. And God said to remember. And this is something that God says throughout Scripture. Right? Remember this, right? Like we think about the flood and we remember the rainbow, and God said, I'm giving that to you so, so that you remember this. I'm making a promise. I'm never going to flood the whole world like this again, right? Over and over again, God, God tells them to like make piles of rocks, right? To remember this thing that God had done. God wants us to remember because he knows that we forget so, so quickly. So the disciples knew, knew the routine. Like they celebrated this Passover their whole lives. And while this night was a special night to them, it's also totally familiar to them. But, but they knew the instructions. Unleavened bread, roast the lamb, there's the wine. They knew about their ancestors doing the, the blood on the doorposts. They knew how important this night was in their history of their people. This night was about God saving, saving his people from slavery. And at the same time, they had no idea how important this night really was. Luke twenty two fourteen. When the hour came, he reclined at the table, and the apostles were with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So that word desire, there's no like normal sounding way to translate that into English. Um, apparently, and I'm no Greek scholar, but apparently the, the, what would make the most sense would be to word it like this. Uh, with desire, I have desired this. Which would be pretty strange, right, if we talked that way. Well, you guys all seem really tired right now. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so with, with desire, I have desired this, right? There's this emphasis that Jesus really was looking forward to, to this meal, to instituting the Lord's Supper, to setting this up for his, his people. Now, what's crazy to me about that is he's looking forward to this meal, and yet moments later, he's going to be taken He's going to be tortured. He's going to die on the cross. And yet he really, really can't wait to do this with his disciples, for his disciples. And I would even say for us. Because God's looking ahead. Jesus is looking ahead to, to the saving work. So this is a meal that, that looked back to what God had done, right, for Israel. Um, and, and Jesus takes this Passover meal and shows this is all about me. Everything in human history is, is coming to this moment. I'm the better Moses, and this is, this is the ultimate exodus. All was looking forward to this. In verse 16, it says, For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom. And he took the cup, 
And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom comes. So the, the Passover meal looked back, but Jesus is now saying, No, we're going to look forward as well. Tonight with the disciples, he, he's instructing them to, to not only look back on this night, look, look back on the cross and the resurrection, but also look to the future with Christ when, when there would be a meal of celebration with his people. Isaiah uh, 25, 6, um, and this won't be on the screen. It says, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, and aged wine, well-refined, right? So in the Old Testament, there's a talent of this day when God's people would celebrate this meal with the lamb. And, and, and even though Jesus is staring down the torch of the cross, he knows the end result. It's, it's the joy of what's to come that makes him desire this moment with his 12 disciples. Even though there was going to be much pain, the pain was going to lead to a day when, when there would be a feast with the people, when, 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 they, when they would be his people and he would be their God, when all the pain, all the tears would be gone. Continuing on Isaiah 25, verse 7, 8, and 9. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces and the reproach of his people, and he will take away from the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And later, we won't get to this part in the passage, but later in Luke 22, Jesus praying in the garden, and he's in so much agony, Scripture tells us that, that he was sweating blood. And there, was, there, was, there was dread going into this. Even though there was joy set before him, this was hard. And as Christians, we too can live in the midst of of incredible difficulty, of terrible circumstances, loneliness, pain, scary diagnosis, loss of job. I mean, fill in the blank. A horrible diagnosis for your child. Whatever it is, we, we, we can sit in the midst of this, even in the midst of, of just evil, and look ahead with the hope that we have in Christ. We are not stuck by our circumstances because our future has been paid for. It's been set. Verse 19 says, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So as the Jews, as they celebrate the Passover meal over and over again, they had the same meal every year, and, and uh, God told them, back in Deuteronomy, he told them that your kids are going to ask you, well, what's this night about? Like, why is it so important? Right? And, the, and then the, the head of the household would explain. He'd tell the story. And, and there are probably a, a few different ways to tell it. Same basic story. But maybe, um, maybe he would go from, from Deuteronomy 16, where, where it talks about the unleavened bread. And, 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 it, and it says there that, that this bread is the bread of our affliction. Right? So they, maybe the dad would pick up the bread and explain that this bread represents the affliction that we were under, the pain, the oppression, our, our slavery, 
Well, Jesus comes this night. He picks up the bread. He doesn't say this is the bread of our affliction. This is the bread of my affliction. This is my body broken. I'm taking on the affliction for you. And this must have absolutely blown their minds. The way that Jesus was talking about this meal that was so familiar to them, saying that he would suffer so that they could live. They'd never heard anything like this at the Passover meal before, that that he would be broken for them. Verse 20, And likewise, the cup, after they'd eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. Jesus takes the cup, and and, and it symbolizes the the blood, the blood of, of the new covenant. The blood from every other previous sacrifice ultimately did not work, because over and over and over again, they had to make these sacrifices. And it, I would imagine that it just had to f- feel like you're pounding your head into a wall, just running into the same dead end over and over again. Or maybe it didn't. Maybe, maybe they're so used to it because it had been going on for so long that they didn't see that this blood was a temporary solution. And maybe they didn't see that it was pointing to, to the ultimate sacrifice that, that would need to come in Jesus. Verse 26 for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We proclaim that, that, that Christ did, in fact, die, that, that he was the sacrificial lamb necessary to atone for our sins. And when we eat this meal, like I said, we're, we're recipients of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Like We get the benefits of Christ's sacrifice. Salvation is made possible to us. And like I said earlier, there, there is, there's a, there's a unity um, among us when, when we enjoy this meal together. 1 Corinthians 10, 17 um, says, Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And I never thought about this before um, as I read this passage, but someone pointed out to me how strange it was that Jesus had the disciples eat this meal with him. Like, this was a meal that you ate with your family, right? Like, just like for you and me, it'd be so strange if I ate Christmas dinner with, I don't know, people that weren't in my family, just a a bunch of strangers, or not strangers, but even good friends. Like, I don't get together with my best friends and have Christmas dinner or, or Easter, right? Maybe I have a friend over for Christmas dinner because his family's gone. Right, he's moved away from them, but but I would never, I would, I would always eat it with my family. But Jesus, he, he has the audacity to take his disciples from their families and and, and eat this meal with them, and, and that's because uh, the cross creates community that that is stronger, that is deeper than our families. It's deeper than than our blood. Christ, Christ is bringing together his people, and together we get to make this, this proclamation that even though we're from totally different physical families, he is our God. He's adopted us. He's made us his own children. I mentioned earlier that there, there are three affirmations that, that we make at, at the table. One is that Christ loves me. When we come to the table, we're affirming that, that Christ does love us. He did he did die for us. And again, I know that's old hat, um, but I, I wonder today if anyone is struggling. I, if, if you've just been beating yourself up 
I know there have been plenty of times in my life where I can't believe I've sinned that same sin again, that I've done that same thing, and how in the world could Jesus love a stupid sinner like me? And yet when we come to the table, we affirm that, no, like Christ knew all, everything you would ever do, and he still died for you, still paid the price for you. So, so when we come to the table, we affirm that, that, that Jesus does, in fact, love us. He loved us so much that he came, lived, and died for us. We also affirm that, that the blessings of, salvations, of salvation are for, uh, they're for me, they're for you. Christ invited you to, to this meal, right? He didn't send the invite to the, to the wrong person. He, he made a place for you at this meal. And not only uh, are you invited to this meal today, but to, to the future meal that we talked about, the celebration. There, there's a story um, uh, that, uh, from, from David's life. King David, um, he, uh, he was best friends with uh, Saul, uh, Jonathan, son of Saul, sorry. Uh, uh, Saul was the king, Jonathan was his son, and, and God did a, a unique and, and a strange thing in having David and Jonathan be best friends. And uh, if you know the story, Saul's trying to kill David because David was going to be the king. Um, and David and Jonathan, um, David, David knew that Saul was doing this. It took Jonathan a while to believe it. And eventually, Jonathan believed it. And they, and they made a pact together. They made a covenant together. They promised each other that they were going to look out for not only for each other, but, but even, even their offspring. And uh, Sonathan, uh, Sonathan, Saul and Jonathan both die. Uh, no one's ever called them Sonathan before. Um, they both die. And, and David's been king for a while. And at one point, he, he, he goes to one of the people under him and says, does Jonathan have anyone remaining? Is there anyone f- from Jonathan's line that, that I can bless? So they go to find out. And, and, and they find out there, there's a son um, named Mephibosheth. And uh, he, was, he was crippled in an accident. Right? His, his legs um, they were trampled, and he, could not, he couldn't take himself around. Um, lived his whole life as a cripple. And, and, and while that is um, hard today, Imagine how much harder back then. Um, so, so David says, bring him, bring him before me. And I'm sure this must have been terrifying for him, right? Like, normally you kill off the, the, the previous dynasty. I don't know if that's what he thought then. We, we don't know. But he comes before King David, and, and David expresses how much he loved Jonathan, his dad. And, and, and he, he, uh, he restores to him, like, the property of Jonathan, but the really cool thing is he, he invites Jonathan, or not Jonathan, gosh, <laughs> Mephibosheth. This is what happens when you go off script. Um, Mephibosheth to come and eat at the table every night with him, right? And, and I, I, love, I love the picture there for this man because he comes and, and he, he sits at the table and, and the table, and I imagine a tablecloth, I guess. I don't know for sure if there's a tablecloth, but it covers it covers his crippled legs. He gets to come, and, and, and he's sitting there at the table, just like every other son of David gets to sit. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that he's crippled. Even though society, I guarantee, they did not appreciate him solely based on his legs. That didn't matter. He comes, and he sits at the table, just like one of the sons of the king. That's what we get to do. Like, like we come 
to the table. We've been invited to the table. We're a son of the king. And salvation is for us. The last thing that we affirm is that our faith is in Jesus. So, so when we come to the table, we're expressing, God, I, I need you. I, I, I cannot make it on my own. Scripture tells us that we are dead in our trespasses, right? Dead in our sin. What can a dead person do? Absolutely nothing, right? That, that was our state before Christ. Ephesians tells us that there's a description that we're the children of wrath. That is not the label you want. So when we come to, G- to the table, we express to Jesus our great need for him, that our faith is in him, and Jesus wants to forgive us of our sins and give us life. So that's, that's what's happening when, when we come and, and, and take, take the Lord's Supper, take communion. There's probably much more that we could talk about. But one last thing I do want to talk about is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I think we'll have scripture up there for you. Um, Paul's talking uh, to the Corinthian church, and, and there's, there's just a lot they're not doing right. We won't get into all of that. But part of what they're not doing right is, is how they come to the, the Lord's Supper. Verse 27, it says, whoever, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Or, or you could translate that, uh, instead of concerning, it could be profaning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. One of the commentaries I read, um, it, it, it was talking about the uh, where it says in 27, uh, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty. It said this, it said, essentially you become guilty of shedding the blood of Christ, i.e., you place yourself not in the company of those who are sharing in the benefits of his passion, but in the company of those who are responsible for his crucifixion. So we come to the table, and we need to do that with self-examination. We need to ask ourselves, well, one, do you know Jesus? If you don't know Jesus, this meal is not for you yet. And I hope that someday it will be for you because that means you'll place your faith in Christ. But, but if you don't know Jesus, this isn't for you. If, if you have sin that you are not bringing before the Lord, you need to take care of that. Right? Like you need to actually stop and, and, and talk to the Lord about what's going on. There's a psalm that says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. Right? And lead me in the way everlasting. So we come, and we should come to the table examining our hearts. Like, God, is there, is there sin that I've, not, that I've not brought to you, that I've not trusted you with? Also, we, we need to ask ourselves, is there anything between us and someone else, right? Is there, is there anything between you and a brother or sister that is, has not been dealt with yet? If that's the case, you should deal with it first before you come to the table. So, so as we come to the table today, uh, we want to examine ourselves. And, and maybe today you shouldn't even take communion, right? Maybe you realize there, there's, there's some stuff that I need to deal with first, and it wouldn't be right. I would be taking it in an unworthy manner. Um, so today uh, the band will be up here, and, and we're going to have several songs going, three songs. And I just encourage you to take your time and, and, and spend some time 
uh, talk to the Lord about these things. The prayer team will be up here as well. If you need prayer for something, if there's someone in your life that uh, you just can't forgive them for this thing that happened, right? Or, or, or there's a struggle that you just can't seem to let go of. Come and, and receive prayer. And then if it's good for you to come and take communion, do it. Come, celebrate, remember what, what the Lord has done. I'm going to pray. Jesus, I thank you, Lord. I thank you that, that you have made a way for us to be forgiven of our sin, Lord. That, that you've made a way for me to be reconciled to you. That you've given me the righteousness of Christ because I don't have any righteousness apart from him. Lord, I thank you that, that you gave us something that's experiential. Lord, I think that helps us a lot that we have this physical thing that we get to do with you, Lord. Jesus, it, it reminds us of, of not only what you've done, but what is coming. And God, we need those reminders all the time because we are just prone to wander. We're prone to forget. I, I, it's just so easy for me to come to church and know that Jesus loves me, know that Jesus died, and, and, and completely lose what that actually means for me, how you've radically saved me from my sin. You've radically saved me from hell. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you do love us. God, we want to worship you. We want to have fellowship with you. We want to be participants. Lord, we help us to do that. God, we help us to examine our hearts. And God, I pray too that as we sing these songs, we wouldn't just blow through them, Lord. But God, they would, they would speak about how awesome you are, how good you are. Will you speak truth to us, Lord, as, as we worship you? It's in your name we pray. Amen.